Let's pray together before we look at the word. Father, we are so thankful that you have given us another day in this life. And uh, we know that without your help, it could go really wrong. Father, we do ask that you teach us to uh, control our tongue, to stop us from saying things that just make trouble, involving us in arguments that just make a bad situation go worse, things, conversations that just get us nowhere. Father, we ask that you, you uh, help us to control our thoughts, that you shut the door of our minds against envy and jealousy and, and um, bitterness and resentful feelings, that you shut it against ugly and unclean thoughts. Father, we ask that you help us today to live in purity and humility and in love, that you keep the wrong thoughts from entering in and the bad words and the wrong words from leaving our mouths. Father, today we, uh, we have many people on our hearts and minds. We remember the tragic events on this date, and uh, we ask that you just use that as a reminder of, of how long, which we long for peace, that leaders of this world will eventually beat their weapons of war into garden tools and be creative with it. Father, we also pray for those we love. We ask that you help us to never hurt or disappoint them, that we don't drift too far away from them. We ask that you bless them and keep them safe for us. We pray for our friends, that we never be too selfish around them or too demanding of their time and their friendship, that we try not to make use of them and manipulate them as, as like we don't want to be manipulated and be used, but you enrich our friendships, that you enrich their lives as they enrich ours. And Father, we ask your forgiveness. We ask your forgiveness of when we have acted cruelly or we have mercilessly criticized others, maybe laughed at them or thinking them to be fools. Father, we ask you forgive us for not giving the sympathy and empathy that others are needed, denying help because we just can't be bothered. And Father, we ask you that you forgive us for our betrayals. So, Father, we ask you this morning, we thank you that we were able to get up and wake up and get out of bed and get here. We pray for those who are ill and who are, who are not able to do that. We especially remember um, Ted Roberts. We thank you for him, and, and we ask you just to continue to heal his body. We also think of uh, Rick and Betty Howard, who had to leave early this morning from church to take a relative to the hospital. We ask for your grace for them this morning. We thank you for keeping us safe. We thank you for enabling us to go on and resting in your peace and grace. And so, Father, we ask you help us to live today and this week in such a way that we show gratitude for all the gifts that you have given us, all the blessings that have come our way. And, Father, we ask that you help us not to forget them and to see them and notice them when you bring them to our front, to the front of our face, and that we can see your hand. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are actually going to begin this morning after a very somber prayer. We're going to be silly for a few minutes. <laughs> so I brought this uh, silly skit from um, Saturday Night Live, believe it or not. So we're going to start off maybe on unholy ground. I don't know. But um, 
anyway, it does have a point. It does have a point. So we'll go ahead and show the, the skit. According to studies, many men say they have no close friendships. And three in four report receiving all their emotional support from their wife or girlfriend, often the moment they come home from work. Hi, how are you? I miss you. Am I balding? Dune? Okay, cool. Hi, honey. Vin Diesel has a twin brother. <sighs> oh, honey. When I walk in the door, my husband sort of rockets information at me for 25 minutes straight. On a football team, there's 11 players, but with rugby, there's 15. And all the words come out fast and in the wrong order because he hasn't spoken to anyone else that day. I need you to go out of the house and make a friend so you talk to other people about this stuff and not just me. That's insane. Where would I even go? Finally, there's a place with Man Park. It's like a dog park, but for guys in relationships, so they can make friends and have an outlet besides their girlfriends and wives. Rise and grind. Rise and grind. <laughs> Rise and grind, brother. Look, they're networking. Oh, they're doing so good. Which one's yours? He's a little shy. <laughs> Aww. Go say hi. It's not their fault masculinity makes intimacy so hard. Marvel? Marvel. 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 We know not all men get along, so there's separate parks for large breeds. Pats. Raven. Pats. Raven. And small breeds. Rick Morty. Rick Morty. Rick Morty. There's room for all their favorite male bonding activities. Cause I'm Mr. Brightside. And after they run around and yell, they can cool down with an IPA and really connect. Real talk. Who's the goat? Michael Jordan or Tom Brady? How about Bo Burnham? Will you be my best man? Yet. I'm so glad he has someone else to talk to. Hey, hey, did you know Vin Diesel has a twin brother? What? Yeah, amazing! <laughs> Why is that what they're talking about? Men are taught that it's weak to rely on each other. So I guess in that way, and don't quote me on this, it's harder to be a man. Wait, no, is this filming? Don't show my face saying that. Man, ladies get in free. <laughs> Well, it's, uh, it's no secret that we are wired for connection. We are wired for each other, to build each other. And it's almost a cliche to think that men have a harder time doing that than women, and that's probably true. That's why it's funny, uh, because it is sort of a cliche. Uh, but uh, it is. We are wired that way. Uh, we are continuing our series on the church this fall. As I'm calling it a space for grace, taking churches, God's church seriously. But even though we are wired for community, for community and wired for connection, it, it is a little overwhelming sometimes, and sometimes we just don't know if we can handle it anymore. One of my favorite quotes from a movie is from the movie Charade uh, with Audrey Hepburn. And I don't know if you've ever seen the movie or not. It's, it's, we have it. We'll loan it to you if you want to see it. It's a great movie. Um, but Cary Grant's in it too, and he kind of approaches uh, Audrey Hepburn at a ski resort somewhere in the Alps. And he kind of starts to sort of want to get to know her and says, you know, have we met before? And uh, this is the road, this is the title for the sermon. And she says, uh, I already know an awful lot of people. And unless somebody dies, I couldn't possibly meet anyone else. And sometimes it feels that way. And Cary Grant responds, well, well, if anyone ends up on the critical list, let me know. So, so I understand that you may have seen this sign before. 
uh, introverts unite, but separately and at home, preferably. So, but we do kind of uh, get the idea that we 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 want to connect, we want community, we need community, but sometimes we just sort of get overwhelmed with it. And and you've also heard me say I'm a big advocate of silence and solitude as well, and possibly because I also am much of an introvert, but uh, I do enjoy that. But really, it's, it's a balance between the two. It's not one or the other. In fact, I would argue that science and solitude prepares us or lays the foundation for those connections, lays the foundation for those relationships, that if we don't spend time in silence and solitude and time with the Lord, then we are on shaky ground when we start to make those connections. We see the, the friendships start to become maybe they're needy or, or greedy or maybe even exploitive or parasitic even or just kind of rough it. It just makes it a little bit more tougher that they become codependent. Uh, and I, I believe there is such a thing as Christian fatigue syndrome where uh, you just, you know, you're just so surrounded by church and church stuff that you just kind of get, you kind of get worn out by it and uh, you just kind of get tired. And, and I remember a church in seminary there was, when I was in Dallas and there was a church kind of reevaluating their program because they had a really high bar for membership. And they kind of discovered that to become a member of this church, you were expected to at least uh, commit to like five other times during the week of your time to the church. And they got to talking about this and going, okay, this is probably overkill here. Uh, you know, he says, we're preaching the family, but we're not giving them any time to spend with their family. Uh, we're preaching that they need to make friends with non-Christians, but we're not giving them any time to meet non-Christians. And so they start to kind of reevaluate this. And as a person who's been in vocational Christian ministry practically their adult life, I can attest to that, uh, that we get so, so caught up and so much in the activity that it's the emptiness starts to overwhelm you. Uh, you try to fill it with more activity and, you just, and the emptiness just becomes more and more real and deeper and deeper. And it, it kind of resulted in uh, several years ago, I've mentioned this before, where Sue and I both ironically went through at the same time this really faith crisis where we felt like the good news no longer sounded like good news to us. And uh, having to deal with that, and you start this, um, these feelings, these longings of real connection is not a substitute for the activity, and it just starts to engulf us if we're not too careful. So I think there is such a thing as, as Christian fatigue uh, syndrome. Uh, but when we talk about community in the church, it's really tricky. And we got to be really careful about this. I ran across this article this past week, Can Pickleball Save America? It was an article in the New Yorker. And, uh, and the idea was that we are so polarized that we are just in two separate, two separate countries almost. But uh, one of the things that seems to be uniting a lot of people is pickleball. And this is like one of the fastest growing sports in, in the country. I never heard about it until I met Patty Monk uh, several years ago. <laughs> and, and now I'm thinking, this is, it looks pretty fun, actually. So, but when we talk about Christian community, it's different than pickleball. It's, it's very, very distinct than pickleball. It's, it's tricky, but it's, it's very, very, very different. And the church has used community and talked about community a lot in recent days, and I'm glad for that. It's kind of become a buzzword. It's kind of become in vogue to talk about community in the church, and I'm really happy about that. I'm very glad about it. But at the same time, it freaks me out a little bit sometimes. It freaks me out for a couple of reasons. One, one reason, uh, I'm afraid it's going to make me feel guilty for enjoying some of the times I like being by myself, 
okay, and I start to feel guilty for that, uh, or feeling like that everyone everywhere ought to have unlimited access to my time, my spirit, my soul, everything, and so that kind of freaks me out a little bit. Uh, it freaks me out also because uh, we get the idea that somehow we need to be vulnerable and transparent with everybody in the church, and if I'm not sharing my deepest thoughts and my deepest emotions, then, then I'm not really experiencing community. And the third reason it makes me feel a little bit uneasy, a little, a little bit uneasy it's, is that it's easy to, to leave the Holy Spirit out of it. That we can become so consumed by the idea of community that we start planning it, organizing it, and if we can just make the right programs, if we can just make the right structure, then community will automatically happen, and we will just uh, automatically uh, just enjoy it. Uh, we'll, we'll organize it that we just, if we get a group of people all in the same stages of life, then they will automatically become friends. That if we can get all the young couples together, then they will automatically become friends and community will happen. Or if we get older people together, or men or women, or whatever grouping it may be in vogue, that if we can make these groups, then they will automatically become friends and community will happen. And we kind of leave the Holy Spirit out of it. There, I've been a part of several really wonderful small groups and I would say my two when I go back and think about small groups the two that really that really catch my attention that I really remember with great fondness were not those kinds of small groups Uh, my once I was in a small group in my church in Dallas and it was all married couples with families and I was the only single guy and I loved it it was great they all doted on me you know and and uh my, my housemates loved it because every, every once a month we would have a potluck and I always came home with loads of food because I said, well, let's give it to the single guy. You know, he's not cooking. So it, it was great. I loved it. I learned how to look and observe parents for when I would one day be a parent and I could observe them and see them and be with them and see how they related to one another and the decisions they had to make with children. And it was just a wonderful, wonderful time. And the other small group that I really remember with fondness was here with a group of, uh, of young adults in their 20s primarily, and they're now in their 30s. You guys are now in your 30s. Uh, in their 20s mainly. And it was these 20-somethings. It was me and Sue, and it was Jerry Beal. And talk about transgenerational. And it was one of the richest small groups I've ever been a part of. So it, we can kind of organize it, and I don't know why, but the Holy Spirit just seems to work wherever he wants to. And, and we can't just manufacture it. We can't just manufacture a, a community. Bonhoeffer said, the community of Christ exists. We just decide whether to participate or not. It's not something we create. It's not something we make. It's not something we manipulate. As a church, as leadership, we can, we can create maybe and build some structure. We can build some programs. But all we're doing is creating a space for community to happen, for love to happen within friendships and fellowship. It's a uh, community is just, uh, we'll go back to that in just a second. Community is just the, another word. It's kind of an in vogue, trendy word for just the, the old fashioned goodness of being a friend. That's really all we're talking about. And there can have communities in, in other places besides Christian communities. In fact, I recommend it. I recommend it. This is the way I see my relationships, generally speaking. I have the crowds. 
And these are the people that I, I, run in, I come in contact with, and I, they're important. Every group is important. The crowd is important. These are people I say hi to. These are the people that I, I see at the gym, and we communicate, we connect a little bit, have a little small talk. This is the group that we would see when, uh, when Katie was a baby, and we'd take her to, to see Ranger games, Texas Rangers games in the right field, and we always sit in the right field because that's where the cheap seats were. And you start to have these contacts with people. Those are all important. And then you have this community. And community is, is, demands a little bit more commitment. There's reciprocity here. There's, there's people that I decide to love. And I show that love by showing up. That I am present in their lives. And then there's the close. The intimate people. These are the people I call the somewheres. Because we all need somewhere to go to share our deepest thoughts, our deepest feelings, our deepest secrets, somebody to talk to. When we talk about intimacy in the community, okay, I, I really have trouble with that. Not that there's not ever in intimacy, but that uses a word that I, I re like to reserve for a very small group of people, you know, primarily starting with my wife and then heading out from there. We all need people to be intimate with. We all need people to share those scary thoughts with, those scary feelings, those deep feelings, our, our, our deepest loves, our deepest hearts, heart feel, heartfelt longings. We need those people. But that's not necessarily the same thing as community. Community is just the good old-fashioned being a friend, of being there with people, being there for someone, of being there in a crisis. Now, Christian community is different. It is a little bit different. Well, it's very different. It's very distinct. Um, it's something that's, that relies on, on other factors. One colleague told me one time, he said that Christian community is the most over-promised and under-delivered aspect of the local church. And that made me very sad because he's probably right. That community, Christian community, is the most overpromised and underdelivered, underdelivered aspect of the local church. But it doesn't have to be that way. It really doesn't have to be that way, and it's not as complicated as we make it, maybe. And part of it has to do with the illusions and the dreams that we have about Christian community. We have these ideas of what in our mind is supposed to be like. And another thing that Bonhoeffer says, it says that when those mists of, of of dreams and we become disillusioned that's when we can enter in genuine community and we think it's counterintuitive but he's right that when those those unrealistic dreams and visions and myths finally go away then we see he says the sunlight of genuine community because then we're real we're genuine people i think <clears throat> experiencing community starts with being a person and that sounds silly but I really think that's where it starts. That being a human being, it's, it's holy work. Being a real person is holy work. It takes time. It takes trust that is earned. It's telling our story. It's hearing and listening to other stories. We earn that over time. And we have to build on it. And that means we just become friends in a world that dehumanizes us. We have a world that, that makes us just a bank number or it makes us just a talking point or a demographic. 
or uh, a curated Facebook page or, or Instagram. And we fail to see people as people. We fail to even be people because we get dehumanized. That we end up putting people in categories and labels and they just become those labels. And it's very tempting to do that. To just label someone as this or that rather than walk with them. Oh, that person is this and we never walk with them. That person is one of those and we never walk with them. We just categorize them, we just label them, and they become dehumanized. And it's very tempting for ourselves to be a, see ourselves as a defender of an institution, of a church, of the church, or a political party, or, or a defender of something, or to be an activist, or, or to have a title, or to be a, an encyclopedia full of, full of answers, or some Bible commentary because you know the Bible so well. Or we like to see ourselves as, as uh, just this, maybe an armchair therapist to help people. And we even dehumanize ourselves because we see ourselves as some, something that maybe we're not. And we don't really want to show our weaknesses or our failures. And so we're not really human. Being a person is holy work. It is a holy job. I believe that our most sacred moments are also our most human moments. And being a human being is what God has called us to do in his, the kind of human being that he wants us to do. That this, these moments are not something we create, they are something we participate in. And this tells the world, this materialistic, label-making, categorizing world, this tells this materialistic, label-making world that love can exist. And that's what the church can do. That's what community, Christian community can do. Again, Bonhoeffer says we don't create community, we participate in it. The Christian community already exists. God created it. He created it in Jesus Christ. We just have to decide to participate in it. Experiencing the community requires work on your part. If you want community, you're going to have to fight for it. You're going to have to move toward it. It means your ability to welcome contradictions in others and be ready for it. We are, uh, we are walking contradictions, all full of black and white. Not black and white, just full of, full of uh, uh, a whole mixture, a whole mess of stuff. Life is undignified. If you can't find God in changing a diaper or if you can't find God in serving food or just hanging out with friends, then you're not going to find God in a worship service. You're not going to find God on a spiritual retreat. You're not going to find God on a mission trip. Life is just undignified, and it's full of messes. And we need to find out, be ready to welcome contradictions. You need to have ferocious trust. And yes, people will let you down, but we need to trust that God is hiding in the most plain sight that we can see everywhere we see. We trust God to be there. We trust God to be in that person that we are talking with and the people that we are walking with. It requires ferocious trust. Trust in that person. And it means that you need to have the belief in the basic goodness and holiness of each other. That we are redeemed people. And we are being transformed into the image of Christ. And believe that. Have a belief in the basic, in the goodness and holiness of others, that we are peacemakers, not just peacekeepers. 
I don't want to challenge anybody. I want to do anything because I want to keep the peace. We are peacemakers. We make reconciliation. And we need to believe that in other people. That means we need to accept both back patting and butt kicking. <laughs> that means we're in a community that we need to take, receive when people want to pat our backs and receive that. But sometimes they want to kick us in the rear end. Sometimes we need to receive that too. But we have to believe in that goodness that in the other people. That's what is required. We get to John 17, which is one of the most beautiful chapters in the scripture. Christian community is also supernatural. It is just being a friend, but when it comes to Christian community, it's more than just being a friend. There are lots of truths here that I want to look at. When Jesus prayed his prayer in John 17, he is getting ready to head to the cross. It is the chapter right before he's arrested. And we know that a lot of times when people are facing death head on, they oftentimes want to share what's on their heart. And it's when they become the most open, the most vulnerable, and the most honest, and Jesus just lays it all out. He lays out what's bothering him, what's on his heart, what he desires, what he longs for in this prayer. And, and Paul just did a beautiful job of reading that wonderful, wonderful prayer. But I want to mention a few things about it. First of all, Christian community does not belong to us. It doesn't belong to us. Jesus makes it very clear here in verses 24 to 26 that it, the Christian community belongs to him. They, but we belong to him. The community doesn't belong to me or to you. Several years ago, uh, Jim Collins, and I had to read this book for a program at, at George Fox. He wrote a book called Good to Great, and it was instructions on how to take a good company or a good organization and make it a great one. And in chapter 3, he has this whole chapter called uh, Getting the Right People on the Bus. And he says, if you're taking over an organization, you need to get the right people on the bus, and it also means getting the wrong people off the bus. He says, then you decide where you're going and how you want to drive. Well, that's all fine and good if you're talking about a business, but we're talking about a church. And we don't own the bus. Jesus owns the bus. And so he brings whoever he wants in. And all you have to do is look at his disciples. I mean, he, didn't, he, he had malcontents and he had misfits on his, his disciples. He didn't, he didn't uh, draw people who all thought the same, who looked the same. He didn't, he didn't say, well, what are your core corporate values? Are you in harmony with our corporate values here? He didn't do that. In fact, you've got, you've got Simon the Zealot, who are called the Sicarii, because they carried this little knife called the Sicarii, and they murdered people. They were, they were basically terrorists who murdered people who were traitors and who, were, who uh, followed Rome, trying to reestablish the Israeli state. And then you had Matthew, who was the kind of the guy that would be murdered. He was a tax collector for Rome, a Jew who was collecting taxes for Rome. And Jesus calls Matthew and Simon the Zealot and says, hey, come on together, let's go camping for three years. <laughs> and I just imagine Matthew, I don't know if Matthew ever slept during those three years. <laughs> you know, I think he's there with his eyes open, one eye open all the time in a sleeping bag. But that's what Jesus called people to do. That's what Jesus called them to do. We don't own the bus. And so people are all, on the, we, we won't get to choose who's there and who's not there. And it's really interesting, right after, right at the beginning of Acts, uh, 
Luke mentions all the disciples. He even mentions Simon, and he calls them the zealot, by the way. And then in verse 14 of chapter 1, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and the Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So they go from this, this, this group of misfits in three years to somebody, to a group of people who are in one heart and one mind and one soul in prayer together. That's what Christian community can do. We can't just wish segments of the population would go away. And I feel like that's where we live right now in America. We live in a world where, we live in a country where we just feel like one group thinks, well, if that group would just leave, this place would be a better place. Well, that's not, not going to happen. We don't get to choose. We're not on the bus. Christian community puts Christ in the center. Always, 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 always. And that's something we can all agree on, and we all agree in, in theory that that's where it should be, but putting it in practice is very different. That in Christ, there is unity. Maybe not common interests. It's not based on ethnicity. It's not based on politics. It's not based on a joint mission even. It is based on what Jesus has done for us. Solely on his sacrifice for us, that's what it is. That's what is the center, regardless of what our, things, regardless of what our other thoughts are. Our community with one another consists solely on what Christ has done for both of us. And again, all we can do as leadership is build structure for that, but we get to have to recognize it and participate in it. A Christian community provides protection, but never seclusion. That was, a, that was one of the very heart's uh, cores of this prayer, is that Jesus is praying for their protection. And it's interesting, he's praying for, not for their physical protection, but for their heart protection. He's praying for us as we deal with our weaknesses, as we deal with our shame, and, as, and he brings us together to do that. In other words, your shame is my shame, and my shame is your shame. My guilt is your guilt, but also my forgiveness is your forgiveness, and your forgiveness is my forgiveness. We are here not in seclusion, not to be protected against secularism, but this deeper work that contributes to the healing and the peacemaking and that gap closing that the gospel is all about. Christian community provides protection against that, but not seclusion. We don't have to make it happen. We just have to discover it. And we will realize, I believe that we will realize, we want community, we realize because we realize we are in danger. We are in danger of falling. We are in danger of being hurt. We are in danger of, of taking a wrong path. We are in danger of all kinds of things. And that's what, one of the things that drives us to community. That's why that is so, uh, such a fundamental part of our emotional being. That we have this sense that we are in danger. And I think that falls back on, on the, the, the passage we looked at last week. That the sheep that's about himself, I think, senses the danger. But we are safe in the fold. And we need to get back to the fold. And finally, its purpose is to change and transformation. Sorry, there's two more after this. One more after this, sorry. Its purpose is change and transformation. That's another thing that makes Christian community distinct. That it's all about our change. It's all about our transformation. That we are transformed in his presence. That it's not just about us and meeting my needs. It's about being changed into the image of Christ.
And remember last week we mentioned the, the, my definition of spiritual formation is being transformed into the image, to the image of Christ, being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. That's the whole purpose of Christian community is that we are being transformed. And there's all kinds of ways we can do it. Bible studies, bike riding, hiking, just hanging out. There's all kinds of ways that this happens. But that is the purpose, is to be changed and be transformed. This is not a byproduct. This is the main, the main purpose of Christian community. And finally, it results in a mystical union. And I don't think we can overestimate the significance of this statement. My prayer is not for them alone, but I also pray for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you and I are one, and I am in you. And then he goes on to say that we will be one, like, that we will be one as they are one. And I don't know any other way to describe it except a mystical union. That we are in union with God, that we are to take this, this union trinity, this community, that, this God that exists in community from eternity past, and we become part of it. We become in union with it, and it's mystical. I don't know how else to say it. It's a mystical thing that we become part of this triune God, that we become part of this God who from eternity past has enjoyed each other, this, this triune God who encourages one another, who supports one another, who loves one another who admires one another, who is selfless with one another, then we become part of that. And we reflect that back to the world. It is this, this union that I cannot describe another, any other way except that it's cosmic and it's sentimental, it's, it's emotional, it's mystical, it's spiritual. But somehow we are a part of this union. Most of us think about communion, and we have this impossible dream of communion, of community. And if I were to say, what's the first thing you think of when I say the word community? Just think for a minute. What's the first thing you think of when you think community? Okay? You may be thinking of a barbecue in the backyard where all the adults are talking and the children are playing in the, in the yard, and that's all, that's all wonderful. Uh, you may think, be thinking of this group of earnest Christians who are, who are around uh, the table in a Bible study, you know, studying, studying the scriptures. Uh, you may be thinking of, of lobbying for some cause or being an activist in something. Uh, you may think of a group that's accountable to one another, that's sharing and, and keeping each other straight. That may be your idea of community. You may be thinking of something painful. Maybe you were hurt in a community. Maybe a division, a separation, a church split. But all those things never come to pass, and so you kind of end up cynical. You settle for the cynicism, and you go on working in the church, but deep down you're going, it's not really here. I'm just going through the motions, and I'm not really experiencing it. Well, community is that place, they say, where the person you would least like to live with lives. And when that person moves on, somebody else comes and takes their place. Community is being there always. And it is possible. We think it's an impossible dream, but I read John 17 and I go, yes, it is possible. And you read the rest of the New Testament and you see that's exactly what the New Testament writers are describing. This picture from John 17. 
that we love each other the way he loved us and the way the Father loved the Son. And we don't do it perfectly every time. You know, we have to realize that. We don't do it every time it's needed. And we don't always love well. And not everybody is easy to love. That is all true. But we have to realize that God is the source of love. And we can't experience that holiness. We can't experience that holiness by ourselves. One of the weaknesses of an English translation of the Bible is that we don't have a second person plural. In the South, we do. Y'all. And if I was going to include the whole group, I'd say all y'all. That's perfectly, I think we need a second person plural, but English doesn't have one. So when you read the New Testament, you hear you, and being good Americans, we think me personally, when 99% of the time, it's a plural you. He is talking about the body. And we live in God's source of love, and that's where it comes from. This love that is freely given that if that's the source, then I can love you, one of God's children, and I can get love back. And that's what community is. And you may think that's an impossible dream, but I can tell you it is possible. Not idealistic. Not the ideal you may have had in your head a few minutes ago, but it is possible. John 17 is possible because the source is God himself. And I know it's possible because I've seen it and I've experienced it. That it is simply just walking on the road together. And I have seen it. I have experienced it. It's like those disciples in Emmaus who are just walking along, talking about life, talking about the events of life, and suddenly Jesus shows up. That's how it works. We're walking on the road and Jesus shows up. And I know it is possible. And I know it's possible because I have experienced it here with you. And I know it's possible because I have seen it in you. And Sue and I have seen it since the day we arrived 11 years ago. And I know it's possible. And because God is the source of this, I know from experiencing this that neither death nor life nor a mom who didn't love us as well as she should have, nor divorce, nor a scary diagnosis from the doctor, nor a wayward child, nor a debilitating illness. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. I know it because the Bible says it, but I also know it because I have seen it and I have experienced it. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for the love that you've shown us. We're so grateful for the source that comes through Jesus Christ. And it's just this is profound truth that we get to be in union with you. And I don't even know how that works, but we are so grateful for it. Father, we are asking that you fill this, this congregation with the love that the Father has for the Son and that the Son has for us. Amen.